All right, George Robb, a.k.a. Geo, he is the drummer for the Philadelphia Funk Authority and has been performing live since he was in kindergarten. Uh, he's performed as a solo artist for years, writes amazing original music. He hosts his own entertaining live streams, acts as a wonderful master of ceremonies for events and conferences. He hosts uh, the incredible and well-established Geologic podcast, which, if you're interested, has nothing to do with geology. George is periodically involved with the endeavors of the popular Skeptic's Guide to the Universe podcast and their other activities, filling the role of MC for their touring live show, The Skeptical Extravaganza, and their recent 100% digital online Nexus 2020 conference. Um, his social links are george at georgerob.com, uh, That's H-R-A-B, or geologic podcast.com. All right, let's get to the interview. Uh, so I'm joined today by George Robb. We just covered his, uh, his bio on our little intro there. Uh, George, thanks for joining me, and how are you doing? Good. What a lovely intro. Thank you. You're very kind. You're very kind. Yeah, it's my whole thing is, you know, be be mediocre at a lot of stuff. <laughs> That's my approach, too. And then that kind of it sort of spreads yeah. way out, spreads that out, and so you can kind of get little little successes here and there, and it's just, you know, you just, you you you, you paint the target after you right. shot the gun. That's it's the psychic approach, too. Like, yeah. it's kind of the shotgun approach. Like, make a lot of small predictions. If you hit one of them, you, you're... It. You're clearly clairvoyant. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You've got a couple good ones. Yeah, so. <laughs> um, yeah, I wanted to talk to you today because, uh, you know, I know that you've played in a band uh, and a lot, a lot of live shows. I know that you've done, like, mm -hmm. solo performances where people book you for, like, a house party and, and things like that, which is super intimate. Yeah. Um, I know you have your own solo project. That, so, like, the, I think the Funk Authority is, like, mostly cover tunes of like popular popular stuff yeah. and then like you have your own music that you're recording and writing and, and doing all that work on you have your podcast and so i guess what i wanted to start with uh because this is a nerdy podcast um is is basically um what is what's your primary i see you have a mic in front of you what, what is that mic that you got in front of you this is i love this thing this is the samson uh co1u okay. Which is like a not very expensive yeah. microphone. Uh, I think it's like I think when I got it, it was seventy bucks. Maybe now it's probably, you know, maybe eighty, eighty-five because I bought it back mm -hmm. in Cretaceous. Um, but I love this thing because it's just a USB mic that you just plug in. It's got a very lovely warm kind of tone to it and full full range, which I really enjoy. I have my pop filter. The the second or maybe the most important thing you're going to buy if you're going to be true. doing any kind of audio intimate audio work because this this lets you get right on top of the mics you can feel sexy and and talk like that but um yeah it's a very straightforward and then i'm this is just going right into my mac here which is a, a whatever this is this is a six-year-old seven-year-old mac um and garage band garage band has been my primary podcasting vehicle as it were because it is so stupidly simple to, yeah. to use and i just i love it i love it that it's just it's graphically based so i can edit and almost mm -hmm. in real time and uh 
Yeah, I, I, I am one who likes to keep things as simple as possible. I don't like uh, having too many steps in any chain in terms of boards and gear on top of gear. And what's lovely is nowadays, you That's just true. don't need it. You don't need the external board. You don't need the, I mean, for this kind yeah. of stuff, for, you know, for talking into a mic about what movies you yeah. watched that week, you don't have to have any kind of compressors or any kind of stuff because it's all within the all with the programming that you're using for the most part if you're using garage yeah. band like i do and, and to that end it's actually probably a good note to say uh maybe maybe some people need to put those compressors down please put put them down stop touching those <laughs> some people like yeah, slam their audio uh, so hard um yeah that sounds yeah, awful yeah there's that too there's there's uh, which you know that's my whole approach has always been to try to make it sound normal and yeah. good you know or good and normal, go. whatever that may go. be i don't always succeed but it's it's the intention is to just get as little distortion as possible to get as little effect because if you're doing right, a right. talking thing and that's you know the the majority of what i do on my podcast 90 percent of it is me just chatting which when you think about the fact that you're you're for the most part going to be living in a person's buds you know in a person's headphones as opposed to through For a speaker sure. or whatever. So it's it's exceedingly intimate. So if there is some kind of a weird buzz or some kind of a too bright a tone or too yeah. dark a tone or too compressed a tone or uh, just too crunchy of a thing, you're going to drive your listeners kind yeah. of batty after a while, no matter how brilliant your, your observations may be. <laughs> um, so to me, it's always just try to get it as sort of as natural sounding as as, as I can. And, and, and what GarageBand offers is so straightforward for me. Who again? I'm not a very techy mm -hmm. kind of person. It's just kind was of Garage Band around when you started the Geologic podcast? It was just oh. barely. Yes, it was. Uh, it was <laughs> just yeah, in time. It was a closet band. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it literally. I think I had one of the very first. Just uh, uh, no, it was, it was Garage Band, and and uh, it's changed over the years a bit. Yeah. What was fascinating was in the early versions of Garage Band, they had a podcast setting. I remember. Which they don't have that anymore, which is kind of interesting. And unfortunately, that setting tended to really crunch and down bit or whatever they call that, where it would mm -hmm. it would make the signal very very low res because they were figuring you were broadcasting through a, a you know, whatever we were broadcasting through onto the web. I mean, that was um, so long ago, probably half the people had dial-up anyway, right? They wanted to make a small level, yeah, file. Potentially, yeah, yeah. You know, so I, I remember early on learning to turn that off, yeah. and it just expanded the, the bandwidth of it and just sounded so much better. But that was when you could tell when someone was kind of using those early versions because you had this this sort of like compressed thing. Mm -hmm. and it just, yeah, it was just really annoying. It's just really annoying. Yeah, yeah. It sounded like someone was talking through an old telephone or something, for sure. Yeah, basically, sort of, yeah, that kind of modem-y kind of choppy mm -hmm. thing. Know, which was great because you could you could broadcast it quickly. You wouldn't have to sit and upload it for hours. But uh, but yeah, in terms of in terms of the audio quality, to listen to a forty five minute show at that is like oh, it's painful. Yeah, yeah, I agree. When you're recording an acoustic guitar at home for like the interstitials and stuff that occasionally occur on on your podcast, do you mic that or do you plug into a DI? For the most part, I, I'm I'm just using this thing. Yep. This, uh, this I just love it, and, and on acoustic especially, I have a very lovely Martin that I use, and and the response that I get from this mic, I have always been surprised and unbelievably happy with. 
Um, if I'm doing demos or kind of things that are sort of not necessarily for public consumption, sometimes I'll use a, a DI just to just to simplify or just a just a straight line out of yep. the axe, just to, just to simplify it a little bit, so I can kind of get to work without having to worry about too much about having a a, a microphone in front of me or whatever, just to for demos or for sketches or for you know quick little little things. But yep. again, most of my acoustic stuff that I'm doing is just with this with this mic and it's it's amazing when you record in a studio on acoustic guitar do they typically like especially with the professional do they typically have you do like both one or the other it depends what it is i you know i always even when i'm live i prefer to go through a, a microphone mm -hmm. there really? is something about yeah i, I just I, especially with the martin it's it's the pickup in it is great and it works really well mm -hmm. but there is just something about that acoustic direct sound that just bugs me yeah um and it bugs me when i hear it on other people on brilliant players and that's kind of that's become the acoustic sound uh, on some level which is like a little annoying to me because you have these amazing instruments these beautifully crafted instruments and if you mic them well and not, not even well like mediocrely right <laughs> mediocre-ishly um to me that sounds so much better and so much nicer on the times that I've been up in Queens and uh, at at B Sharp Studio and we record acoustic parts, it's it's primarily through a through a, a couple of mics actually. Yeah. Um, you want to get a nice big diaphragm sort of in front, and then you might get a couple little sticks to sort of point at some different parts of the neck just to get some different perspective, get mm -hmm. some finger noise, get some of that kind of texture for it. But for the most part, if you stick a decent a decent mic. You know, in front of a decent guitar with a semi-decent player, um, even a non-decent guitar with a decent player is going to sound is going to sound pretty good. So yeah, I I do try to avoid, and I get these looks sometimes, like when when you had mentioned the uh, the SGU extravaganzas that we've been doing. Um, sometimes I get to a place and I'll be like, if you could put a mic on this, I'd much I'd much prefer it. I'd rather stand here. There's also the lovely thing of being able to sort of affect the sound right. in real time. You get time your own volume by control. Coming in and out, you right. know? So I know if I have a little featured part that's maybe going to be a riff or something, I can lean into it a bit. That that whole bluegrass approach is, I just love that. You know, with one microphone and four people standing around it, soloist moves forward. That to me is so much more um, organic and representative of what music sounds like for real, you know, mm -hmm. around the proverbial campfire or whatever um that i just it relies on the skills of the performer and a decent performer should be able to shine like like that uh, yeah you know f from my personal taste and i always prefer that as opposed to hearing some cranked acoustic guitar that's mostly just top end coming through a direct line right and it's like oh you just you know and, and again there's nothing wrong with that it's a per personal preference but you might as well be playing an electric you might as well be playing some kind of a electric guitar or a hollow body guitar and even those are going to sound better i think than the than the quote-unquote acoustic direct sound i um, yeah i mean I, I agree you are in fact playing an acoustic guitar maybe. yeah and it's hard it's it's hard to you know especially if you're on a stage if you're in a loud bar if you're oh, on yeah. whatever it, it, it can be a challenge it can be a challenge i we did a show in philadelphia we were at the kimmel center which is this lovely theater in mm -hmm. philadelphia and oh my gosh, the guy had this. I don't even know what it was. It looked like a. It looked like a book lamp. It, I don't even know what this microphone was. I should have written. Interesting, because it, it was like it had sort of a big, big body, and then a very thin kind of line, and then a little, little capsule on the end. Huh. And he stuck this thing in front, and 
I just like played one chord and just the room filled and I went, oh. I'm sure it was a combination of the the room and the and the guy knew what he was doing, obviously, but it was like, Probably. oh, you know what you're doing. It was just so, just heaven, just to be able to have this guitar sound. Right. <laughs> acoustic, loud acoustic guitar, not amplified acoustic guitar, but just a loud acoustic guitar. Right. Oh, that was great. I was like, I'm never, I'm never leaving this spot. I just, I, I had, <laughs> normally my sound checks are like, 40 seconds i'm just like yeah okay good that's fine i was there for a good like 10 minutes just like oh yeah let me just let me just check this again because this is oh no God, it sounds so, so good. good yeah, yeah. I, i've done that once or twice for sure heavenly heavenly yeah um i was actually going to ask from what i know about your your history it seems like you started off really young performing but i wasn't sure like at what point you started performing solo acoustic songs that you had written uh mm. live and if you had learned any lessons doing a solo live show that that you maybe didn't know oh, from gosh. playing with p- other people, yeah, I mean, I think the fir- I think the first I think the first thing I wrote and performed was for an eighth grade play. <laughs> oh wow, we did it was some, it, it had we had this whole segment in school that was all about um, Colonial Williamsburg and kind of like the Revolutionary War and stuff, and so part of that. St- trimester semester whatever the heck it was was like we did this show and so i wrote this like revolutionary war song i think it was the first thing i ever wrote that i performed in front of people and oh that was great that was really fun <laughs> um compound meter too i didn't even realize at the time oh I was, really I, comp- I didn't even realize yeah years later i'm like hey wait a minute that's a bar of three in there how cool is that uh but in terms of and then if you start you know through college i started doing open mics and things like that mm-hmm. little coffee house clatch things um where you just sort of set up in a corner and kind of perform. Um, the thing about doing those kinds of shows, it, it strengthens you on a certain level. When you're ignored <laughs> by audiences, Yeah. Uh, it, it, that's the beauty of music, like compared to let's say stand-up or something like comedy, you know, like you get in front of an audience and you have to make them laugh. That's true. You know, or, or like a poetry thing or something like you have to make a musician can kind of just sit in the corner and be ignored, which is kind of nice when you're first starting. Yeah. You almost want that on, on a certain level to sort of be like, I'm just going to be here. I'm going to do my songs and try to sort of barrel through these things. And if people start paying attention, that'll be great. The thing that I, I think I learned over time was like, you're never going to have great sound. It's never going to sound as good as you want it to. It's so rare that it does. So and you just kind of have to be okay with that. Uh, you have to get a good compatriot in the audience that if you're doing a solo show and you know someone's there that you trust to just sort of say, is it loud enough? Is it too loud? Is the is the guitar too loud? Is the vocal, like, what's going on? Or don't be afraid to ask people in the room, even while you're performing, like, are we cool? Is this, does this seem okay? Mm-hmm. Some might respond, some might not. Um, I think the most important part of doing those kinds of shows is to is to have some forethought as to what's going to be, what you're going to do. Uh, people tend to respond to to music that seems prepared yeah. or a performance that seems prepared. It almost doesn't matter what you do on a certain level with certain venues. If there's a lot of hemming and hawing between things, if there's a lot of sort of uh, dead air, or, or and that's you need to fill every moment, but just to have a sense of what you're going to be doing and do it with kind of authority. Mm-hmm. That's that's the most important thing, I think, in terms of solo gigs like that. Um, those are, you know, when you're first starting, where you're just doing open mics or where you're doing something that, um, you know, it's not necessarily your own gig. Maybe you have three songs at an open mic or you have, 
20 minutes at some coffee house or yep. at someone's house or something like that. Uh, you know, the important thing is to respect whatever the constraints are mm -hmm. of the performance. Like if they say three songs or 10 minutes, right. do three songs or 10 minutes. Don't do two songs that are 15 minutes. Right. You know, because uh, you're just going to upset people. Like always, always, uh, if someone's running sound, be as helpful to them as you possibly can be. Like don't be annoying. Don't be difficult. Mm -hmm. um, uh, appreciate, you know, again, you're going to get wonderful sound personnel. You're going to get horrendous sound personnel. Be nice to everybody because that kind of a sound person will remember that much more than your performance. That's true. The fact that you know you're like you thanked them, or you or you went a couple minutes short because they were running over, right? You know that kind of that kind of stuff. It's so funny how the things that I think I have discovered over time that have made have have helped me achieve whatever success I have achieved have been secondary to the art. Like the art is the art, and like yeah, writing songs, doing songs, performing them as best as I possibly can, entertaining people, great. The thing that kind of people remember, the ones that book you, the ones that maybe will have you back a second, third, fourth, fifth time, is all that other stuff. It's all of like, are you on time? Are mm -hmm. you are you sober? <laughs> are you following the rules of what they want? Are you giving them what they want? You know, three sets with this kind of a thing. Hey, it's too loud. It's not loud enough. Whatever. Set up in the corner. Please don't pass this line. Please make sure your cases are in. All that right, right. crap that right. has nothing to do with how great this bridge is that I wrote. Man, I just this bridge is amazing, dude. Listen to this bridge on this. You know, that's great. That's fine. But the thing I always tell people, especially starting out or, or even not starting out, it's it's the Philadelphia Funk authorities like that. We have this reputation of being easy to work with. Hmm. And that to us is the best thing that af after a gig unsolicited, some monitor guy or stage guy comes up and says, we love working with you. You guys are great. You know, like you get to a point where the talent is expected. The mm -hmm. talent is, you know, okay, you're booked, so you should be good. Are you a douchebag or not? That's right. what they're going to, that's what they're going to do. And then, you know, you hear stories about like, you know, oh, this guy was in here two weeks ago and uh, like, we're never having him again. No matter right. how good he is, you know, we're never having that band again. Because they went, you know, we have a sound ordinance. We're not supposed to, supposed to go past 11, and it was 20 after 11, and they were still, you know, that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. So, yes, you have to have your your songs, your art, whatever that thing is that you're doing. It's got to be as good as it could possibly be. Mm -hmm. But on top of that, and it's easy, which is the nice thing. It's easy to be on time. It's easy. To, sure. It takes no creative effort to be on time. It takes no creative effort to end your set at 11 o'clock or 10.50. Right. You know, like that, that stuff is, it takes no create, you don't have to drench your soul in ennui to say <laughs> thank you yeah. to, a, to a stagehand afterwards, you know, and people remember it and it's really, really cool. And if you're one of those good guys, you, you end up getting added to like the go-to list when someone cancels, right? Oh, yeah. Well, which of is, course. Which oh, is my gosh, so yeah. helpful if you're, if you're struggling to get started. Yeah, there's that too, that thing of like, can you? Yeah. Can you? Yeah, like, like if first... you're just on Facebook and friends with venue owners that like have good relationships Completely. with you, someone cancels at last minute, they're going to call you first. Yeah, yeah. He's um, easy to work with or she's easy to work with. Let's have her come in and yeah. Yeah, and, and again, you know, I've always said this, you know, your, your talent and skill mm -hmm. will not get you work. Right. But your talent and skill will let you keep the work you get. That's true. You know, and then being a good person on top of it or easy to work with also allows you to keep that. You know, if you're super nice and you stink, 
Yeah, you're not gonna <laughs> you're not gonna keep the gigs. You know, it, it, that's that's just that's true too. The thing is, there are so many people that are talented. There are so many people that are good, or even a baseline level of excellent or good or whatever passes right. for whatever a, a club owner may think or whatever a venue owner may think is passable. Um, there's a lot of people that are passable, so you can easily kind of uh, differentiate yourself by just being nice or being on time. Or being like, yeah, well, you can go before me. If you got, you know, this person's got to leave. So that's cool. I'll go second, whatever. Do you remember from your open mic days, anyone uh, saying things like, I'm sorry. And then they'll introduce the song they're about to play. Like they'll, they'll apologize before they start playing. Uh, have you ever oh, seen yeah. that? There, there is a, there is a. It's a natural human tendency when you're still like, when you don't feel like you have something perfect or you're not fully experienced to kind of like, yeah, like uh, dismiss that in advance. And right. Uh, as a performer, like, oh my gosh, just don't do that ever. There's like, a weird faux modesty also that sometimes happens. Just like, oh, I, I don't know if this is any good, but I'm going to do it. It's like, yeah, no one really wants to hear that. Right. You have to remember, too, when you're in front of an audience, especially early on, you know, when, when someone's at an open mic, like when people are not coming to see you, mm-hmm. right? People are not coming. I, like, I, it's, still, it's still true with the, the funk authority. Like, I understand that for the most part, People are not coming to see us as individuals. People are coming to see the band. More than that, though, people are coming to see those songs that we do. Mm-hmm. That's what people know. Right. People don't know the name of the keyboard player. People know that we do Superstition by Stevie Wonder, and we play the crap out of it. It's amazing. You know? yeah. So it's like for me to, to assume that people are coming to see me or people are coming to, as an individual or whatever, like, uh, okay, not so much. Mm-hmm. Once you get established, I know if I do a house concert somewhere and someone says, hey, this guy's great. He's going to come and do the show and I listen to his podcast and blah. Okay, that's different. You sort of have an established persona maybe. Um, if I'm doing something with the SGU, if I'm doing something at a conference, you know, that yeah, okay, fine. But that's you get there after a certain amount of time. So the thing you don't want to kind of fade into or walk into is this idea that people know who you are, people know what your hangups are, people know that you're actually very nice or actually you're very funny or actually you're self-deprecating. I made that mistake early on of kind of using or assuming that self-deprecation would come across in an endearing way Mm. and it actually just comes across as like, well, what are you doing here? Yeah. You know, I mean, like, if you I don't suck, know who you, why, why don't you go are. home and practice a little bit more? Yeah, yeah. If you're so concerned about, <laughs> yeah. like, oh gosh, I hope this is cool, and and oh, sorry, sorry, I messed that up. I, you know, even even in a kidding way, like people don't people don't know your personality or who you are. So you either come across as sort of just full of yourself, or just like, well, what are you doing here? Mm-hmm. You know, I have this song called "You're Famous," which is which is uh, the chorus is like, you know, you've never heard of me. Not a word for me. And the, the thing is, I won't be famous anytime soon, but I can play a pretty fine tune. That's the chorus, which it's a fun song. But I realized early on when I would be at some conference where the majority of people had, I mean, not even the majority, no one knew who I was. Right. But I had gotten a booking because someone knew someone or whatever. Mm-hmm. And this guitar playing guy in a suit comes out and the first song he does is, you know, I won't be famous anytime soon. It's like, well, 
you know, what are you doing here? Like, why are you? It's, <laughs> You're it's, literally it's so on work, stage you know? at a conference. Yeah, to me, it right. was like, oh, it's this cute song where I'm saying, oh, I realize I'm not going to be famous and I'm okay with it. And it's like, well, it just didn't come across that way. It didn't mm-hmm. come across that like, st- I stopped doing that song. I realized like, oh, this is really turning people off. I'd have to win the audience back. Like, it's already difficult enough to, to win the audience to start with. Right. But now I had this like disadvantage of now they're going, okay, if you don't think you're, you belong here, then what are we doing? You know, Agreed. so not that you need to enter the situation by saying "I belong here," damn it, and I'm fantastic. Right. Not that, but it's a question of yeah. Again, the preparedness that I mentioned before: have your set figured out. Mm-hmm. Be prepared. If a song's not ready, don't do it. Right. You know, if you don't know the 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 thing or if whatever the whatever the conditions may be that you know if you're. If your guitar doesn't stay in, if that B string doesn't stay in tune, like don't do the song that's going to rely on the B string being in tune after the last verse or whatever it may right. be. You know, um, don't apologize for it. Don't make excuses for it. Because um, people, for the most part, they want to. They want. They want to relax and watch a performer perform, and they're they're gunning for you. They're, they're rooting they're on for your you. Side. Every they're time, rooting for every you. Time. And, uh, yeah, this, there's this like cliche of like you know the sharks are swimming out there and they just want to, but they don't. People Never. want you to do well, and and if you can provide them with confidence mm-hmm. without being a jerk about it, without being overly confident or thinking something's owed to you, yep. but just being like, this is what I do. I do this really well. Trust me. Like, just give me ten minutes, and I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a couple of tunes that that I think you're gonna like. Mm-hmm. You know, not saying that, but just implying that by your sort of confidence or whatever. I think that's I think that's something that I do pretty well in terms of like this is what I got to offer. Like if you I think you're gonna love it. If you don't love it, I totally understand it. Yeah. But I'm gonna do it for 10, 15, 30 minutes and then something else will come along and it'll be and it'll be cool. For know? sure. I'll just say in, in passing here as we move on that um the other bit of great advice I got when I was early on in my open mic career, for lack of a better term, uh, was uh when when someone's introduced you and, and said, Okay, so here's Daniel Shower, don't say, Hey, I'm Daniel Shower and like introduce your first song. Just play your first song because that's how every concert you've ever been to has gone. Right? Someone introduced the performer, they came out and yeah. they started playing their first song. Hopefully. And then they said, Hey, we're blank from blank. Yes. Yeah, um, yeah. Just, Again, it, it, yeah. I think it may depend on the circumstance. It does, like for me, certainly. people always mispronounce my name. Oh, yeah. So, so whenever I got introduced, I would sort of like, sometimes I'd say, yeah, I'm George Harab. Good to see you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. And here you we don't go. get to, uh, to spell it phonetically like I do. Yeah. I just spell it like the word, you know, taking a shower right. uh, and there everyone gets yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. But that's true. Yeah. I, I, yeah. The, the worst is, you know, being introduced and then you walk out and you plug in and you tune up and you check the, thing and you get to your page on the book and then you adjust the mic stand and then you adjust the, the music you know like, yep. like fucking play already let's go exactly exactly that's that's absolutely essential yeah uh do you use any pedals when performing live like a, a harmony pedal or uh, uh anything the to- only thing i've done is a looper a couple times i had a couple little loopy things i did like an what is your looper? a couple times i don't even know what it is it's one it's just like a two-channel boss Boss, yes. yeah, the red H, one, H, the red one, yeah, the yeah. red guy. Yeah, it's just it's very simple, very straightforward. Um, yeah, I like that. I'll, I'll, I, I think sometimes if I have a piano and a and a guitar set up, like if I'm in the corner of a restaurant or something mm-hmm. like that, um, I'll have a little board, and then everything goes through the looper, so I can set up a piano ostinato or something like that. I don't, I don't do it that much, but there's a couple Talking head songs. That it works really well for. There's a right. couple uh, Thomas Dolby songs that works really well for, but yeah. But again, 
for the most part, I like to just, you know, guitar, mic, go. Yeah. <laughs> for the most part. But yeah, but I have occasionally used uh, a, a looper. I also uh, have used a looper. Mine is the, uh, the Pigtronics uh, Infinity, which is super expensive compared to the, uh, the mm. Boss. But the nice thing is that to close the loop and have it start playing back immediately is yeah. only a single foot press. Oh, it's nice. Which boss, yeah. it's a double, right? To it's close and, and start playing, yeah. which, man, pretty hard to keep time. Well, at least yeah. I found it hard to keep time doing that. No, no, it's a loud click, too, that always bugs me. It's yeah. Like, chunk. Yep, yep. I'm like, okay, subtle. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, yeah, awesome. So, let's uh, let's switch gears here. I want to talk about... Um, I want to talk about briefly, like, did did you have a hard time making that change when COVID hit to, like, finding a way to, like, do a live stream and like make money from it in some shape or form. Like how much of a scramble was that for, for you? It wasn't so much of a scramble as just a, Oh, what if we did this? Mm -hmm. Not thinking it would be anything to be honest. It was more a distraction early on. Okay. Cause yeah, when, when COVID sort of started and everything got shut down, um, I don't think any of us imagined it would be as long as it's been and right. as long as it's going to be. So I remember at the time I had a, uh, I had a little show, like a Beatles sing-along show booked for like March 20th or something, March, mm -hmm. March 27th. And I remember moving it two weeks, be like, oh, let's move it two weeks forward. Just, you know, once this is done, we can move it to two weeks. Yeah. That just showed, we had no idea. You know, we had <laughs> no, no idea. So yeah. yeah, by the time March, April, you know, April was rolling through, May was rolling through, we're like, okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. I thought, oh, well, I had been asked to do like a Facebook Live thing through a local venue here. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, that was easy to do. That was fun. That was like pretty straightforward and simple using my phone. Yeah. Just literally grabbing my phone and putting it on a stand and hitting the go live now on Facebook and doing it. And the audio was crappy and the thing was crappy, but it was still fun. Yeah. And then I thought, maybe I could do one of these like what would what would be what would be a fun interesting distraction for me to do but I want to have some kind of format I don't want to be just songs like I don't right. want to just get on and do a concert I did that initially I think yeah I think I think the first thing I did was just a an acoustic show which was like an hour and a half two hours long whatever it was just like I get to perform yeah here we go yeah <clears throat> excuse me and then I came up with the idea of like 13 songs I'm like oh what if what if I sort of talked about the songs. I think I, initially I thought twenty. I'll do twenty songs. Talk about twenty songs. And that, turned, that changed to thirteen. And it was like, yeah, I'll get into the theory and the and the, maybe some of the trivia and some that could be neat. Like something because everybody was doing these shows, these virtual shows. Mm -hmm. I said, how could I differentiate myself just a little bit? And what am I known for? Well, I'm known for being this this nerd, this music nerd. So maybe that would be cool. And then just did one or two and said, hey, look, I've got this PayPal. I've got Venmo whatever like mm -hmm. just whatever and you put it in the corner of the screen i'm like whatever the response was so gobsmackingly generous where it was like you know you keep checking the math and you're thinking like is this really yeah really? So, is this someone really? put a zero in the wrong Something's place going on. <laughs> i had a bit of an established online presence from my 12 years of podcasting right you know, so there are people that, you know, I, whatever, there's thousands of folks that listen to my show every week. So it's not coming in cold or just being a local guy. I mean, I don't, no one local watches my show, really. It's all people in Australia and, and <laughs> Finland that are tuning in, which is great, you know. Um, 
And then I've just realized, okay, we're not going to sustain these numbers because there's no way. There's mm-hmm. no way it's people are going to be this generous. And it did trail off. It took much longer to trail off than I thought it would, which was incredible and amazing and, and just so encouraging. And it kind of reached this level of like, well, if I do this, you know, one every two weeks, mm-hmm. there is a core of people that are incredibly dedicated and seem to really enjoy what I do. And they throw in their couple bucks as we go, you know, and I never push too hard in terms of donations and it's just it's just worked out i'm 17 shows in mm-hmm. and it's like i've reached this kind of equilibrium now where the last 10 or 11 shows are, have been kind of the same amount every time or very similar amount every time which seems to be that's what the financial model is now when this is over who knows if people will have different viewing habits it might die off a little bit it might go up i don't know who knows who knows what's going to happen but yeah it was never an idea of like, ooh, this will be an income stream for me. It was like everything I've ever done in my life. It's always like, oh, that could be fun. Let's see what happens. Mm-hmm. You know, podcasting was never an idea of how can I ingratiate myself with the skeptics and science-based community and end up on stage in Las Vegas. It's like, no. I was just like, oh, I can, I can make like 10 of these. Let me do this for a couple of weeks and see what happens. I'll just bullshit about whatever nerd stuff and movies mm-hmm. and I'll play a couple songs. And then people somehow found me, and then more people found me, and somehow worked out. It's like, oh, okay. Uh, same with like you know, do, writing songs or playing guitar, or playing piano or whatever. It was uh, kind of like, oh well, let me try this. This this could be this could be fun to do, a little different, yeah, a little bit of my take on whatever is happening at the time. Um, and people sort of tend to find you. And I think going back to the intention idea of like being on stage and having the the essence of like you deserve to pay me attention for the next little bit because I'm going to present something that I've put some thought into mm-hmm. and shows forethought and 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 effort people tend to like that people tend to really like that they I think people even subconsciously enjoy the fact that you know of the of the whatever 17 shows that I've done which has been uh, I mean we were doing 13 songs for the first chunk we just switched over to seven songs now right. because I wanted to talk more about the things you know, it's like 110 songs or 120 songs that it's been. And I think I've only repeated four of them, maybe five. You know, so every show is, is new songs. That's that's the thing that bothers me tremendously uh, of people that do open house, uh, open mics or people that do, you know, restaurant gigs, bar gigs. Like they have the same 15 songs and that's mm-hmm. all they do for years. Yeah. For years. And I understand it's hard to write songs. Believe me, I know it. And I'm not, I wouldn't expect anyone to have brand new sets of original material all the time but how many you can learn cover songs like come on right like like don't play the same 20 covers you know if i'm gonna go see you more than once more than twice if i'm seeing you more than four times like there's no way 80 percent of your set should be the same it just as a solo artist yeah bands are different i understand that there's a there's a thing about repertoire and rehearsals and stuff like that but if you're a solo artist and this is advice I gave to a young guy that I, I, I was I was talking with a while back. This incredibly talented guy. He said, "What's like? What's the best thing? What's the best advice you can give me?" And I was like, "Learn songs. <laughs> Learn songs so that when an audience comes, yeah, you'll give them the stuff they want to hear, mm-hmm. but you'll give them like a couple tunes they've never heard, never heard you do. And covers are an amazingly simple way to ingratiate yourself with an audience. You know, find some because again, no one's going to know your stuff, and that's that's the way it goes. That's yep. fine." 
if they're well written and interesting, you might be able to catch their attention. But if you play a Queen song, or if you play a Beyonce song, or if you play a Pink Floyd song, that isn't played by every other friggin' you know coffee house guitar right. person. You know, you might have a what's that? I mean, a, a a person who ended up being a very good friend of mine in Bethlehem saw me at a restaurant. And I think I played like Limelight or something. It was some like something you wouldn't necessarily hear from an acoustic solo yeah. person. It was a Rush tune or something. And he was like, his ears perked up. And years later, he said like, and I thought, I want to, I want to come see this guy. If he's if he's playing Limelight at this fish restaurant, uh-huh. like I want to see what else he's going to do. Yeah. We ended up you know becoming friends and stuff through Twitter and, and whatever. And now he's he's a he's a good buddy. Um, but that was that thing of like. Oh, okay. And again, not that it's easy to do, but it's a simple approach. So have as as vast a repertoire as you can. And the thing is, anymore, there's no excuse to not be able to learn songs. Like there's no, like the fact that all the lyrics that have ever been recorded are on the web. There are tons and tons of surprisingly decent chord transcriptions. Yeah, they're not great. They're not all perfect. They're not all fantastic. That's but true. as a starting point compared to what we had 20, 30 years ago where it <laughs> just you had to sit there with nothing, nothing, yeah, yeah. and just listen and rewind and listen and rewind and maybe call up a friend and like, do you know what this third chord is? You're, I'm, and you're I'm a Beatles fan, right? Like, oh, yeah. uh, do you remember hearing stories? I, I've watched a bunch of Beatles documentaries as a Beatles nerd, and I remember hearing stories uh, about like young Paul McCartney and John Lennon like being like, oh, did you hear this guy in this other town knows how to play a B flat? A B7. Yeah. yeah. B7. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. George, George Harrison got the gig because they could play a B7. Yeah. yeah. You know, that's, imagine. My dad was in a band, you know, still is technically for, for 60 plus years he's been in this band, but he started when he was 14. And in the, you know, 60s, uh, late 50s and 60s when they were learning a song, like each person would get the record for a day or two. <laughs> They couldn't even do tapes, you know. So it's like, all right, I'm gonna have the I'm gonna have the record Monday through Wednesday. Then I'll give it to you. You can have it Wednesday, you know, right. night and Thursday, and then fr- by Friday we got to give it to the accordion player because he's got to learn, you know. And let alone, I mean, the the Philadelphia Funk Authority is so old that our first, I mean, we didn't have uh, email early on. You know, we literally would send letters to each other with our schedule. And all the stuff. Oh there wow! Was ten, ten members, so it was you know we didn't want to do phone trees. So early on, we had we had letters we would send. We would mail cassettes. I would make mixes on cassettes and send them to everybody. Like learn these five songs, learn these ten songs, whatever. Okay. Then when you could burn CDs, oh that was amazing. We can burn CDs. We can send these around or hand them out at gigs. That was great. And then when you could post stuff online, are you kidding? We can post MP3s online and just learn off the thing. Yeah. So in the span of one band, we've gone from literally cassettes in envelopes to downloading an MP3 the morning of the gig because you have to learn that first dance. Yeah, you know, and you don't feel that same crush because you can find the lyrics. Again, they won't be perfect. There'll be mistakes. You have to double check and make sure. But in terms of a starting point, oh my gosh! So getting back to the point, there's there's no excuse to not learn a new song for every gig, let alone three new songs or five new songs mm-hmm. for every solo gig that you may have there's just there's just no reason there's just no reason or alternatively have a catalog you know the size that fits in a binder like the one you see behind me absolutely yeah, and, yeah uh, I have binders next door yeah, exactly, just, exactly. Paper, and paper and paper and paper and don't bring the whole binder with you this uh to the show because uh, right. no or one wants to you know, see you be like hang on hang on 
Yeah. Hang on. But get it on the iPad now. That's the thing. You can, you can have a digital version of it. That you can have true. six trillion songs that you just page through. Yeah. It's amazing. Uh, let's let's do a little uh, lightning round. Of, <laughs> I'm not sure how well this will work uh, since you are a self-proclaimed non-audio nerd. But, but here we go. We're going to ask you... Uh, you questions about uh so like there's a lot of bs in the audio field mm, right like you go sure. to the music store and you're like uh i need a cable for for my guitar and they're like mm-hmm. what you want is this monster cable with like this gold plated connector and it's like triple super ultra shielded with like nanotechnology around it so that's what the lightning round is in Nonsense. the vein okay. of and i'm gonna i'm gonna give you the the finite answers so no no hedging you're, you're gonna pick one of the answers and uh oh, okay and right. if afterwards you feel like i have to go back and explain why i meant uh that uh feel free but uh here we go Is it worth the money to buy a fancy unbalanced quarter-inch cable? You know, that'll be a guitar cable, basically. Well, you have to define fancy. You want gold-plated connectors. No, no gold-plated. You want a decent solder. You don't want your solder joints to just come apart after one gig. But apart from that, no, you can literally have coat hanger. Totally agree. Sound as good <laughs> as your as your gold-plated. Uh, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Uh, what about a balanced cable? A uh, balanced quarter-inch cable. Does it matter? Any difference there? Again, I think you just you want the physicality of it to be be able to withstand what it needs to do, which is being pulled, plugged in, and pulled out. Mm-hmm. But in terms of in terms of stuff, no. What about XLR cables? Are are those even less worth the money? Or yeah, I mean, same deal. You, you, you same don't deal. want something that's just the things that dies. The, the thing for me that die on a cable is just the heads pop off you mm-hmm. know, over time, or the or the things collapse inside. So you want something that's built somewhat good with a somewhat decent solder but whether it's triple shielded or whether it's got manganese skin it doesn't matter okay is it worth the money to buy an external preamp you may not know it depends what you're doing i think for a podcast we'll say for a pot i mean i would say no for audio i like uh, music uh, again are you are you are you doing high-end production or are you doing multiple, you know, for me, I, I would leave that up to the engineer. For me, I'm very happy using stuff that's just within within my machine, my computer here yeah. to, to get a decent sound. So, yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Um, I'm going to, uh, my choices there were worth it regardless, worth it based on your mic and or audio interface or a waste of money regardless. Since you say I'm happy plugging my mic directly into my computer here, I'm going to put on worth of uh waste of money regardless if if you're cool with that okay uh since you apparently have no preamp right um uh, is it worth the money to buy a third-party plug-in hardware processor i use GarageBand, so i'm gonna put down waste of money as opposed to worth it i i guess yeah Yeah. again it's you you didn't buy like isotope or anything like that for you no and and, you know i and not to disparage anyone that's using that stuff if you if you have a if you have a groove that you're in that works for you yeah that's what's most important but for for starters for you know people that are jumping into doing this kind of stuff no yeah um is it worth the money by dedicated streaming hardware like a sling studio something like that to manage your your multi-cams well i i happen to have sling studio and i i i got that after having done a number of shows Mm -hmm. and i love it it's a it's an investment but um the 
the simplicity of it, the ease of it, and the fact that the production looks as good as it does by literally just pulling pulling stuff across. Right. Um, however, that being said, if you want to get into streaming, you know, you can do it through your phone on Facebook. I mean, you can do it through your computer on Facebook or on YouTube, and it it can be surprisingly good. I mean, astonishingly good. When you know, if you really consider that you know this piece of glass. <laughs> can, you yeah. know, uh, on a on a ten dollar stand with maybe maybe some kind of external microphone, maybe to help it some kind of apogee or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but even that isn't really that necessary. So you don't need to be intimidated by the idea of I have to spend eleven hundred dollars on a Sling Studio to 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 do stuff. Yeah, if you want to have multiple cameras set up, sure, go with the Sling. Have you found your purchase of the Sling to be worth it? I think so. I think so so far, and I've I've I think I've done maybe, I've used it five four or five, five times shows now, four something like shows. that. Yeah, I've probably done twelve percent of what it can do. Yeah, having not worked on it at all, just being like, okay, it's working. Let's get you know, it working just, enough for just this, this show. Stream. I realized you can exactly. do dissolves. Uh-huh. Like literally, just last Friday, I'm like, "Oh, we can do dissolves between shots." Oh, it's oh, not going to be a cool. hard. It's a hard thing. Oh, you just press the dissolve, like right there. I'm like, oh, this is fantastic. And I'm using one. I'm using two cameras. You can go up to ten yeah. cameras or whatever it is. Yeah. And now I'm trying to figure out a way to be able to just get it to go from from that to go to multiple platforms. So like to go to both Facebook and YouTube at the same yeah, time. Yeah. Restream. Yeah. Restream basically. Yeah. yeah. So I'll figure that out at some point. I just uh, don't want the damn watermark. Oh uh, yeah. Uh, we could talk. I'll, I'll show you how to do that. All right. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah. Uh, do you have a green screen at all? I don't, no. But, but you've SGU worked with team. one for SGU, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, whole, actually, uh, Jay redid the whole basement. So the entire basement there at the, at the SGU studios is a 360 green screen. And it allows or, you to basically do a whole different show than you ever could have done yeah. with, a, with a practical set. But like... Yeah. Um, they're also super expensive. Do you have any idea as to whether or not they feel like it, it was worth the investment at this point? I think for them, I mean, the fact that the um, Nexus Virtual ran as smoothly as it did, looked as good as it did, um, I think it was worth it. it. And most of that was just sweat equity. You know, that was just Jay and Ian. Um, putting the stuff up building everything installing it you know making for that we had one solid wall that was like the weatherman you know we called it the weatherman wall that's that's what i stood in front of mm-hmm. so we had the virtual game show was sort of on this thing and then we had other stations that had green screen as well that you could do sort of fly-ins from desks now the whole room is just entirely green so you can do like i said i think it's like 270 degrees full green so you can do wide shots of like you know Wow. Real time shots. And it's yeah, it's it's an investment of of installing time, but but if you're gonna use it all the time and the way we want to use it for game shows and for conferences and for twelve hour shows like we're doing in two weeks. And probably twenty four hour shows in like twenty four hour shows in like two months point. after that. Yeah. <laughs> right. Based on the way Steve set the yeah. goals. Yeah. Yeah. Um I, yeah, I think I think I think Jay would definitely say it's worth it. Because it yeah. just expands your palette. It just expands I mean, we have a we're going to be on this virtual spaceship for the 12-hour show. Yeah. What? It looks super it's cool. astonishing. Yeah. 
But uh, yeah, for something that large, you also have to like, it's not just the green screen that you have to invest in. It's also like the lighting and stuff. Cause yeah. if like, it's not all the same color green, mm-hmm. then the effect doesn't yeah. work. Shadows and stuff. And stuff. Like yeah, yeah. But they, you know, again, they have so much gear they yeah. they've got over the years. So and they've been doing it right. Do you use a conferencing software like a Zencast or a Zoom or anything like that to record? I've been interviewed on Zencaster, but I, I don't, I, I haven't done any kind of interviews via, via Zoom gotcha. or anything like that. Uh, when my mom calls into the show, I mean, I literally talk to her on my cell phone and I hold it up to the microphone like this. <laughs> Does, is that yeah, how you so do that? I know. And when I first started the show, we still had a landline and I would, I would take the, it was a speakerphone. And I would take the speakerphone with a rubber band, and I would attach rubber band to the mic, so it sort of sat on it. And I would get, you know, get to the side, and I'd talk to her, and she'd talk through the thing. Now I literally just sit here like this, with the speaker, <laughs> and talk to her. She can hear me, I can hear her, and the mic hears me and her. Yeah, I, it's super simple. I mean, you can't be any simpler. You just got to make sure it sounds okay. You know, get your levels right, get your right. volumes good. So yeah, that's I, I prefer. DIY as simple as possible. Yes, I'm sure I could get some kind of a T1 connection and call her and do a thing and whatever. But but no, I prefer. That was actually a, a, a lecture that Steve Novell and I did years ago at a Nexus about starting a podcast and stuff. And and Steve is you know Steve is gear and Jay is gear and they have all this you know plus they're do, they have five hosts that are you know calling in talking in from all over the place or whatever. So we showed Steve's setup, and then we showed a picture of uh, you know a phone rubber banded to this microphone, saying mm-hmm. these are both legit. You know these are both ways to do it. You know as long as you make sure it sounds okay, whatever whatever you need to do is fine. Yeah, and don't be intimidated by it. Cool. I think that almost wraps it up because uh, all the other questions I basically asked in earlier uh earlier on in the interview basically uh so i guess the last thing i wanted to ask on here was like um if you're willing to tell us a ballpark of like what it costs you monthly to host your podcast and like and have it out there oh because i've had a surprising range of answers actually yeah i mean for the internet provide i mean it depends what you what you consider cost you know if you're going to put food we'll, into we'll it, assume kind of that you already had internet food yeah. yeah yeah i mean if i if yeah if i already have internet and you know like the gear that i have i would consider that already sort of spent and that i have so mm-hmm. it's i mean hosting is is 17 bucks a month i think 24 bucks a month maybe i don't know is that for both your your show web page and the rss feed that you need for the That's, podcast yeah, the RSS is separate. So the web, the 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 like georgerob.com yeah. is a separate thing, mm-hmm. which is that's just through my regular provider, which is whatever that is, whatever monthly fee that may be. But the geologicpodcast.com through Libsyn again is like 20, 20 bucks, 25 bucks, less than 25 bucks a month, I think. Okay. And that that's it. You know, it's it's kind of astounding. Something like thirty five bucks a month. It sounds like right. I would between say, yeah, like your domain to have georgerob.com and oh, host yeah, your yeah, website. Yeah. That's like fifty bucks for the year, or whatever it is. Right. So, yeah. Easily less than fifty a month. Easily. Yeah. Sure. Uh, awesome. Um, by the way, I just love how your show is just formatted. Uh, I love the. It's clear that you've you've developed a number of, of bits and stuff that you have on the on the podcast over the years. Like I, hmm. I assume that you haven't st- 
started with like all the bits that he's like uh, Dr. Vanyan Hotji's. Uh. <laughs> you know what's funny though? I, when I, I surprise myself sometimes, and I, I just go back. Not that I listen to old shows, but I'll just if I'm looking for something like a, wait, have I done this animal? Have I done this interesting uh-huh. fauna already? Uh-huh. And I'll go. I was like, yeah, show. Oh, I did it. Show six. I did it. You know, back in in 2008. And I'll see the the info for the show, and it's like, oh, wait a minute, like. I had religious morons from the get-go. I had interesting really? fauna from the get-go. The thing was, I did a radio show for three months, one huh. summer, two and a half, three months, uh, huh. at a local college station. They had this thing of like, when the students are away, local people can do shows. And so I knew the guy, I knew the program director, and I said, do you mind if I come and do like a weird talk show kind of thing? And he's like, you can do whatever you want. You know, you gotta, you gotta do the bumpers and do the commercials or whatever, but you can do whatever you want. I said, can I be on late, like, you know, like 11 to one or something on a Tuesday night? Because no one's going to listen, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. So I did. I did. I did whatever it was thirteen Tuesdays. Those are actually available as an archive. If you subscribe to the show, you get to hear all those. And I just developed bits, like over. You know, I was calling my mom from the radio thing. I had a buddy I called a couple of times too. We had the moron history chunk. Um, a lot of those bits were developed there. So when I started show one, mm-hmm. like. A lot of that was in the can. It's it surprises me sometimes, like how much of it was developed. the The nice thing of what the Geologic Podcast offers is that it's modular, so that I don't have to do the same bits every week. Right. If I can't find an interesting animal, or if I don't want to talk about whatever some indestructible bastard, I just don't. You know, it's 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 sort of compacted itself into a way that I understand this is the format that's mm-hmm. kind of worked out but it's not in stone by any stretch and sometimes I'll, I'll mess with it you know I'll do a, a full album of covers or or I won't do an introduction or I'll whatever I mean there's a show that one of my favorite episodes was the Memento show I don't know if you were listening to the program then or if you're familiar with the movie Memento I am familiar but, with the movie but I was not listening at the time yeah so in essence like a, a lamp falls on my head at the start of the show <laughs> <laughs> and I get I get that sort of memento. I can only remember a couple seconds at a time. Yeah. And the whole show is backwards, so the whole program is then played backwards, and then it reveals sort of the bits, and then you hear the lamp fall on my head at the start of the show. You know, something like that. I just saw memento, and I so loved that film, and I thought, all right, how can I kind of do my version? Or the the um, April Fool's show where I did a transcript of the SGU. I don't know if you've ever heard that show either. <laughs> no. So I they have lots of their transcripts are online. Right. For their, you know, their hearing their impaired. Podcast. So I found, yeah, yeah. So I found a transcript, and I the characters from my show, so Damian Hanzi and Rupert McClanahan and Mortimer, assumed the parts of the SGU, and then I just did a full SGU episode reading what they had done, <laughs> as if it was an SGU episode. Which character was Steve? Steve was um, Dr. Damian Hanji. Yeah, Steve was that Hanji. Makes sense. That makes sense. Evan was Evan. Uh, Evan was and Terraberg <laughs> because you know. Yeah. Uh, uh, Bob was Rupert McClanahan, which was great because he was getting all flustered talking about stuff. <laughs> and then Jay was Mortimer because Jay loves Mortimer, so he had to be Mortimer. So he was Mortimer. <laughs> okay. um, and the best compliment I got, I mean, people liked that, thought that was really fun. They liked that I, I, it wasn't like a five minute, it was a 45 minute show, like of just doing it. And what Steve said, which was really great, was he said like, I never get to hear the SGU, it, like in a new way. I never right. get to hear the episode for the first time. And this was like the first time I got to hear the episode for the first time. 
like you could recognize who was talking because of what they were saying in the cadence even though it was a different voice right and he was like thanks for doing that because it provided me the opportunity to say like oh we actually produce a pretty good show it was interesting <laughs> you know he was interested in the information that mortimer was telling him or whatever that's so funny that was cool but that's that's what my you know again it's such a silly name you know the fact that there's no geology and that just sets you up like this is not going to make any sense. And for the most part, yeah, I'll have the intro, I'll have the thing. Mom will call occasionally. I'll talk about morons. I'll talk about this, talk about that. But every now and then, you get some like little little curveball that, uh, again, respecting your audience. Yeah. You know, people can tune in and they know what they're going to get for the most part, but they don't always know. And they, I think they like that. I think I think people appreciate the fact that you might get, oh, this week he's doing Abbey Road. Okay. Yeah, yeah <laughs> Acoustically. For sure. Great, you know. And and they appreciate that because it shows that there's some effort put into it. So yeah, yeah, I that's one of the things I always like about your show. Is it's kind of a uh, it's like it's like you have a um, a roulette wheel or a wheel of fortune mm. of your bits, you know, that you're like sure. Yeah, yeah. Which one yeah. came up this week? Um, oh, I neglected to ask about the services. Uh, do you use the service to sell your music on Amazon, iTunes, etc.? I had been going through uh, CD Baby. CD Baby, and yep. when you when you sell your hard merchandise through CD Baby, you automatically get all the iTunes, all the Amazon, all that stuff. Now, CD Baby has changed, and they are no longer selling physical stuff. So for my next album, whenever that may be, I'm not sure how that's going to work. I'll try to figure that out. I'm, I'm still a fan of tactile stuff, so I will probably release a CD. But I realize most of it will be downloaded. So, um, so yeah, CD Baby was very, very uh, easy to use, and and their VIG was relatively small, which was nice. So yeah, so everything on iTunes, everything that you can get through through uh, all the streaming is 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 through them and whatever whatever organization they use to okay. do that. So that's uh, physical albums, right? But also the uh, the digital MP3 albums that you can buy through iTunes slash mm-hmm. Amazon, but also getting it on streaming services and royalties yep. Pandora, for that. Pandora, and, all that. Yeah, yeah, all that stuff. Okay, yeah. Those are all options you can choose when you're doing... Again, I think this has all changed in the last three or four years yep. because they, they just they stopped doing the physical thing. So I don't know what their services are anymore, but there are plenty of organizations that can that can stream all kinds of things for you. Yeah, 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 for sure. I think uh, TuneCore is another one that sells, uh, that allows you to do the selling of digital music and and streaming royalties, but I'm not sure if they do the physical thing uh, these days or not. Yeah, yeah, I I might end up just doing the physical thing myself, like getting some kind of a mail mail service, you know, that I can just, whatever, that stamp. Pre-printed CDs. Yeah, Yeah. and then be able to get those out to people, because I think that market will be much smaller than it was, but I still think people will appreciate that. And then at at gigs, once we're allowed to go back, once we're allowed out of our houses, right? Uh, people still like, at least in my demographic, which is older, they they still like to buy CDs, yeah. which is fine. Yeah. And now I have the thumb drive thing too that I that I do also. I've, I I don't have one here, but uh, I've been doing. Yeah, it's like in a cassette drive. play. Yeah, uh, old, uh, yeah, old jewel case or whatever. But then you get the thumb drive, and it's you know it's three hours of music uh, yeah. thing. So. How cost effective is that? Like, are you using a vendor to to produce those, or is that? Oh CD no, Baby? I make this myself. I mean, I we we literally up the street. There's a, a a printing place. Oh, that just prints out the sheets. I with an exacto blade, I cut them out, I fold them, I put them into the cassette thing. <laughs> I put every every thumb drive goes into my computer. I drag the files onto it. Wow, you know, so each, so the unit price on each thing is 
is low, but because you're you know you're you're giving someone almost four hours of music, you can get a pretty decent pretty decent price on it. So yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, but it's work. I mean, it's like to do a hundred of those. That's an afternoon. Yeah, you, you know? better but, hope but you never get a large order. <laughs> well, in a way, you do in, in a weird way because it, when I'm when I'm working on it, you know, when I'm sitting there, yeah, I can show you here actually. You know, here's my. I mean, I used to work in a mailroom, so uh, so I, I can like really probably tap into how like oh, so awesome it is yeah. to like you know cut things out precisely yeah. and fold it and like yeah. So I have a bag of these, right? So this is the cassette insert, so I know that I have to sit and I have to fold this thing on the lines where they go. There's the first fold. There's the second fold, and I sit here for an afternoon and I do this. And as I'm doing this, I'm thinking to myself, okay, that was a three dollar fold. That was a three dollar fold. <laughs> And that was a $3 fold. And when you think of it that way, oh my God, it's so much easier. And that's a $3 fold right there. Each I of those folds is earning you $3. I, I yeah. See. Yeah. Yeah. You know? yeah, exactly. If you think of it that way, and I, I literally do that to kind of get in that zone. And now I've got the insert set. So now this goes in the cassette. I stick the I stick the hard, the thumb drive in there that I've done. I have a box of these that I've sort of, as I was doing something else, I would load them up. And then you put in a thing, and you put in a thing, and then it's like you know whatever it is, it's three fifty to mail it locally, or to in the U.S. Yeah, it's you know fourteen to mail it to Australia, but that's okay. That's a loss leader for me, which is totally fine. You know? <laughs> people appreciate that. Oh my gosh, I mean, people ask, how do you how do you have an international audience like you do? And it's like because I because I give them stuff. <laughs> yeah, you know, people are shocked that they pay this you know the same cost for. A CD of mine. It's like I don't charge shipping, so it's like if if a guy in Arizona wants my thumb drive, it's going to cost him the same as it costs to a guy in Sydney or a person in Newfoundland or whatever, you know. And they really appreciate that, and then they they will tune in every week and they will buy everything that they can possibly buy from me. They will buy. So that's good. Little tricks like that. Yeah, I mean, hopefully you can at least package it together at that point, save a little bit of money. Yeah. No, yeah. no, I'm still making. You know, I'm not making. You know what, uh, uh, X percent profit on it, mm-hmm. like I would be if it was local. I'm still making, you know, one fifth X, but it's still a profit, so it's fine, you know, or whatever, whatever the numbers may be. But yeah, but you instill this kind of like appreciation from your audience and you respect your audience, and then that's how you, you know, you're better off having a thousand people that really like you than having 10,000 that are like, yeah, whatever. You know that I know that 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 thousand, that eight hundred, that five hundred people, even whatever I put out, they're going to buy. Like, and I know, and I, and it doesn't mean you can put crap out, but like they know. Oh, if he's putting something out, it's worth getting. So mm-hmm. if it's you know if it's like this that shows some effort and 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 keys into some nostalgia of having a mixtape and a cassette because back when we had cassettes, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah, here's a th- yeah, here's a little thumb thumb drive these little cassettes guys. were the absolute yeah. worst i mean as as someone who grew up in the 80s like man man cassettes were like constantly breaking you had to, like get oh, a, yeah. get a pencil like get the oh, tape yeah. back in when you're yeah. when your tape machine yeah. it could have been a new tape machine or a 20 year old oh, yeah. tape machine matter. it was just as yeah. likely to eat that tape mm-hmm. it, it literally had no bearing yeah. to worst. me eight tracks were the worst because eight tracks you couldn't rewind or fast forward <laughs> <laughs> you just had to be wherever you were. You could do the little press thing. I don't know how familiar you are with eight tracks. I'm not super. My dad. That was my dad's generation. Okay. For sure. So yeah. So like so eight tracks. You, you could you could press this like you could jump, but it would just jump to a sort of pre-specified place mm-hmm. on the on the track. You couldn't fast forward. So like you would learn over time. Like okay, if I get to the second chorus, 
of this third song and I hit the button, I should get to this other oh, song. Oh, so it jumps forward song. because it knows like I need to jump forward two minutes and 30 seconds to get to the next yeah, it, song. But, but it was it would somehow jump to another track. So like the songs, I, I, <laughs> I, I don't even know how eight track technology works. So weird. But, but it's yet. Yeah, but you had this kind of. I think that the tape. I think the tape was kind of these multiple tracks running yep. in parallel. And so, if you were at this point and you hit the button, it would go to any of these other sections on that on the tape. It wasn't jumping ahead physically on the tape. It was just jumping to another track. Right. So you could jump between tracks, but you had to kind of learn like, oh, okay, if I go this and this, yeah. I wonder how that works with like very weirdly, you know, where like this uh, albums where the 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 tracks weren't roughly equal. Like, you know, you like yeah, you're sure. you're you're five minutes into stairway and you try to jump to track three. Like, are you actually going to be in track four? You know what I mean? Like, oh yeah, no, you had you had to learn. That's what I mean. Like, you, it was oh, it was a crapshoot. You literally <laughs> had to learn. Oh, if I want to go to the the beginning of track three, I gotta I gotta wait till one minute in track one and then hit. And the next thing that happens, like thirty seconds after that, and then I should be close to. Yeah, it was this game. It was this crazy game you had to play. For the most part, you just played the thing. You wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't jump around. Exactly. That's what I liked about cassettes, though. In a weird way, was that wherever you stopped your cassette is where is where you would start it. So if you listen to an album and you get three songs in and you stop it because you got to go do homework or you right. got to go whatever, when you came back you would be at song four, and it encouraged you to listen to entire albums that way. Yep. When CD players started coming around, now eventually they would start remembering where you stopped, but the, those first CD players that I had, every time you plugged it in and turned it on, it went back to one. Track one, So if you one. had yeah. some, you know, if you had some disc that had the two tunes that you liked in, the, in track one and track two, you might not ever get past those to get to track, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten on whatever album it may be. Sure. You know. So I, I liked, I used to, with my cassettes, I would go through entire bands, like their whole catalog. Like, okay, this week I'm doing Rush. Nice. So you, get, you get that first album, you put it in, you listen to it all the way through, okay, next album. But however long it takes, you do an order to get through to whatever. And that was, that was something that I thought was really fun. Now obviously you can do that at the click of a, a button, but it's not, it's, not quite, it's not quite the same investment anymore. You know? It isn't right. the same. But it's okay. You know, as someone who's record, I consider myself an album musician. Like, I, I don't, I, I typically mm -hmm. don't try to write songs. Like, I'm writing songs as a way to fit into a larger project. If that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, are you? Of course. Are you the same way? Or yeah, I mean, I, I'm a, I'm an album person. This the, the next record will be specifically sort of an album, mm -hmm. which I'm very excited about. So yeah, I I like the idea of of investing time and I don't even do it that much anymore but I like the idea of putting something on and the fact now that you don't have to flip the record over you know that you can have right. a 45 minute stretch or a 35 minute or a 55 minute stretch of like this is a singular not even concept or idea but an experience this is a right. singular experience of let's put this album on I, I think that's great I'm all for singles too I mean I'm all for writing a great song that's three minutes five right. minutes whatever it is that is your experience top to bottom you have the whole crest of every emotion you can possibly have great and Absolutely. listen to that song as much as you want listen to that you know put that thing in your mix put that thing on your on your phone and your whatever but yeah there is a certain something to putting on dark side of the moon or putting on you know uh, a speaker box and just listening to the whole thing it's like yeah. oh okay yeah actually uh, to, to follow back on the point of uh, when CD burning came came out right like 80 minute cds were a yeah. thing uh and 
And so I made it kind of a special project of mine to make a an album that was literally, I think it's 79 minutes and 56 seconds long oh, or something like that, where yeah. it's literally, it, it progresses through key changes from song to song. Oh, sweet. Uh, as it goes through. And it was, it was very conceptual, uh, yeah. but it, it was a fun project to work on for sure. That's great. That's great. I think we're we're approaching. We started early, and we're now approaching the end of our schedule time. So I appreciate you uh, you recording all this time with yeah, me. It's all good. Um, I've done my best to avoid asking any question that I feel like you probably get asked on a lot of interviews. I appreciate that very much. Um, I appreciate that. But but you can I'm, I'm, like. I'm going to go ahead and ask one that I'm sure you get asked all the time uh, because yeah. it's my final question that I like to ask every every. As musician. long as it's not where do ideas come from? No. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> if I could answer that. Do you that. write the words first or the music first? No, no. What does this yeah. song mean? Please don't tell me that. No, um, I want to know the funniest story from a gigger tour that you have. And I'm going to ask for a solo gig specifically, if you're willing. It's funny in that, you know, I'm a guy that tells stories all the time. And I've, I, I, every week I talk out of my sphincter for 45 minutes. But invariably, when someone asks me a question like that, I have to go through the hard drive in my brain and think. Yeah, no, I, 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 did, I did an awards show once. It was a local like uh, um, awards program. That was for Lehigh Valley musicians. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm in the Lehigh Valley here in Pennsylvania. And um, this was early on in the organization's existence. And the host of that particular program the MC was such a travesty of just like uncomfortable humor and you don't know you didn't know if he was joking if he was telling a joke whatever and it was just and I had to do three songs during that show and for just some reason I just started I just focused on how terrible this guy was <laughs> and I think I and again I don't recommend doing this but I think I got up there and and it, the first thing I said was, "It's such an honor to be here. This this is this is reminding me of my favorite movie, uh, The Godfather. <laughs> it was an abortion, Michael. It was an abortion. <laughs> oh my god! You know. And so the audience is just in my in my in the palm of my hands. Yeah. And I just I kind of just went off, not directly saying this guy, but it was just like it's so great to be surrounded by such professionals and to be able. To, <laughs> yeah. And I did my I did my three songs and got out of there, and it was just it was awful. That that one. That's something I would never do today, <laughs> but at the time it was it was yeah that was pretty that was pretty crazy. Uh, one of the coolest gigs I ever did was was on a boat in uh, the Galapagos. Wow! I was on I was on a trip to the Galapagos. I was sort of I was a uh, I hate to one of the one of the people that was on the trip as the celebrity quote unquote whatever not celebrity but I was asked to go on this trip so I was like the entertainment for this thing that's so, awesome yeah it was it was unbelievably fantastic so one of the one of the things I had to do obviously was do a show and so I ended up doing my my uh, uh, periodic table of elements mm -hmm. show so I've written. It's called the occasional songs for the periodic table. It's a, it's 119 songs, mini songs, one for each element. And I did that, you know, uh, on a boat in front of James Randi, who is an absolute hero of mine. He's yeah. a, if you're not familiar with him, I just Google James Randi. Love Randy. James Randi. Yeah. yeah, so he was in the audience and I got to I got to do this thing that I had written for fun because I had I had had such writer's block 
for a long time and I just wanted to start writing something to get me out of this writer's block. And mm -hmm. so for fun, for total kicks and not thinking I would ever finish, I was just like, I'll just start writing a song per element just to, just to get me writing something. And it can be five seconds long, just something. Ended up finishing that, did that on the podcast, was you know every week I'd have three or four more of these. It took six months or whatever. Mm -hmm. Got me out of the writer's block, which was great. Or the writer's rut, I should say. And uh, again, never thinking, hey, I'll perform this in front of James Randi on the, in the Galapagos Islands, you know, and perform. The, and he, he thought it was great. He loved it. Pe the people that were there, it was such an audience for it because it was all just science nerds. And that was incredibly cool. That was an incredibly cool moment where I kind of just like stopped for a second and had to think like, how did, how did this happen? Yeah. How exactly? I can't quite explain. I mean, I can't explain, but I can't quite explain right. how this happened. So to go from, yeah, to go from the abortion gig to, to, to be playing my uh, <laughs> you know, 60 or 70 minute long composition of, of elements in front of one of my absolute heroes on a boat, you know, on off a luxury boat. Off the Galapagos oh Islands was pretty cool. Yeah, it's pretty good. Pretty good switch. Okay, I'll give yeah. you that one. Well, yeah. Uh, thanks, George. Uh, was there, uh, I know, do you want to plug your social media or anything like that before yeah. you go? Yeah, okay. I'll link y'all in the show notes and all that. Link away. Link yeah, away. It's all good. That. Uh, thanks for your time. I, I, I love your stuff, and I, uh, I hope that we get to talk again sometime in the future after COVID, uh, maybe, yes. in person. In person that would, would be, be nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah, at a gig. And I appreciate your preparation. It really means a lot, and it's not common. So I really appreciate that as oh. someone who's done a, 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 a serious amount of interviews. I really appreciate your preparedness. Oh, thank you. Kudos to you, my young, my young Padawan. It's been a pleasure. Mine too. And yeah. Have a great, uh, great rest of your week. Hopefully, uh, no more sedition before, uh, before. Yeah, time. let's hope. Yeah. Let's hope. Let's hope as a country in two weeks. So, yeah. Yeah. All right, man. Cheers. Take care. Thanks. Bye. Bye.